2: Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. Well,
3: there, has got the better of it, And he looks to get the better of And he's
1: done it.
2: here chance, This is Mean Lean from arsenalvision.co.uk. And welcome back to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. And a warm welcome to those who haven't listened to this show before... In today's show, we have James and Paul are back on the team sheet, along with Elliot. They discuss our 2-0 victory against Middlesbrough in the FA Cup. That's coming up shortly. Arsenal are through to the FA Cup quarter-finals to face. Well, I can't answer that, but you can. This has been recorded prior to the FA Cup draw, but I'm hoping that we are going to avoid Manchester United and Liverpool. But now I said that, we're probably going to get both of them at the same time. But Anyway, we we are through thanks to a, a rather entertaining display against Middlesbrough at home. Prior to that match, our opponents were talked of as this um, giant killing machine, team that doesn't concede. And um, after the match, they were just a championship team again, as is the way. But uh, I thought we played really well and played some lovely football. I really, I really like the team. I keep saying really a lot. I've got to stop saying that. I enjoyed the lineup and the players that we had on the pitch. Um, I didn't think we would get to see a um a Kozula and Urzel central pairing well not pairing, but you know, in the middle of the pitch at the same time, with three strikers ahead of them. And um yeah, it was it was very fluid, very creative and very enjoyable. Oliver Giroux was the man at hand again to um hit a brace. Poor guy. Can't get hat trick though, can he? Put on the brace a number of times, he just can't seem to get that third goal, which is a shame for him. But um he's really improved this season. since he's come back from injury. And if you think about it, we've missed missed him for a long time. And even at the start of the season, he came off the bench at Everton. He scored a late brace, uh, two very important goals at the time. And, you know, if it wasn't for that injury, he may have had 25 goals to now. Who knows? We don't know. But um, we've missed him. And his improvement is there for all to see, which is great. But, yeah, it was his two goals. The first goal was was a wonderful team goal. As great on the eye as the second goal was, I really enjoyed the first goal. Um I'm sure you've all heard that by now, but every player touched the ball before we scored. And um yeah, it was lovely. Arsenal Ringo teams are always at their best when they're playing at speed and there's um fluid movement and all players are confident in their ability and uh, you know, there's no pressure on them. Um no not pressure, wrong word, there's no fear in their game and that's that's what we're and that's what we saw yesterday. So yeah, we are through. I am very interested to see if um if he plays that sort of team again now in the Premier League, especially away from home, or against a better team. Because, you know, it was fun to watch, wasn't it? I mean playing the way we did against Spurs, it wasn't fun. I understand why we did it. Makes sense that we did it, but you know, we're attacking team, attacking players and we wanna to go to places and beat teams rather than trying to strangle the life out of a game. That's not really that's not really our players. But, you know, I can't complain, because when we beat Manchester City away, I was like, yeah, this is great. Um, but when it didn't work against Spurs, it was a bit rubbish. But yeah, I like the way we played yesterday. I like where the players played. I would like to see that team again, um, with a few changes. With Francis Cochrane back in the side, and maybe Hector Beller in the right back, making us stronger. But yeah, it was, it was entertaining. So anyway, so now I'm going to hand you over to the guys, and you, you have yourself a nice week. And we'll be back after the Crystal Palace game on the weekend. Goodbye.
1: Goliath slays David as Arsenal advance to the quarterfinal draw for the FA Cup, proving that they can indeed beat the team at the top of the league, just not the top of the Premier League. But you know what? We'll take it. It was a brilliant victory, and we are proud to be discussing it with the two finest guests in all of podcasting. My name, by the way, not that you care, is Elliot Smith. You can block me and abuse me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. This is the Arsenal Vision post match podcast, and I am joined, as always, or as often, not always, but often, most often, by James. You can find him on Twitter at Gunnerfanatic forty nine. James, welcome back. Hello. Hello. Good to be back. Good to have you back. It is good to have you, James. Um, and uh, the man who is ever positing and doing other things in his pants, but on Twitter you can find him at in my pants. His name is Paul. Paul, good to talk to you. Good morning. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon good overnight whenever you're listening to this we are recording this by the way prior to the quarterfinal draw so we will not be discussing who we got although we will be discussing who we want which by the time you listen to the podcast will be irrelevant because you'll already know who we drew so that'll be a waste of 20 minutes so when we get to that discussion feel free to i don't know turn on like a manchester united podcast or something in the meantime Let's talk about the game at hand, and it was a brilliant 2-0 victory. It saw the return of Arsenal's slick passing game and good pressing in the opposition half. Great play by uh, some of the players that we've been wanting to see some great play from. So let's start uh, just by going over the lineup really quickly, as we often like to do. James, um, it was an interesting lineup, and it's, it's one that gave us a, a lot of things to discuss because we did see Cazorla deployed in sort of the Aaron Ramsey role next to the holding midfielder, um, which allowed Ozil to play in the number 10, three changes to the back four and a change to the goalkeeper. So what did you think of the starting 11? And were you surprised that he, for a manager who likes continuity, we surprised he made so many changes defensively?
4: Yes, some, somewhat. Um, so there were seven changes made in total. I think the difference now that we see compared to perhaps earlier in the season when we'd incurred a few injuries and we didn't have the added um, depth of Gabrielle that now we 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 have a lot more confidence in the in the types of players that we can bring in so even though we'd made three changes at the back um, bringing in Gibbs chambers for bellerin and then Gabriel making his debut I personally didn't have any less confidence as such in in, in the team as a whole certainly from a defensive point of view, perhaps the issue going in is that lack of defensive stability that we've talked a lot about. Um, there's a lot of partnerships and relationships that um, that need to be formed at the back. Certainly with Gabriel and Cosciani players that are very new to each other and have a very similar playing style. Um, but a Chambers for Bellarin is a very sort of is a very direct replacement. Gibbs coming in from Monreal, both very equivalent left backs. Maybe not necessarily in their style of. Approach to the fullback position, but certainly in in the quality um, of their display, and I thought Gibbs in particular was was pretty excellent. Then in midfield, um, Flamini coming in for Cocalan was to be expected. Um, the to be honest, the most interesting change, aside from maybe having both Welbeck and um, Giroud playing, and of course having such an attacking midfield with Cazorla playing as the Ramsey role that you. As you suggested, was actually having Alexis still in the side given the um, injury problem or the pre-match talk that Wenger had given discussing Alexis's possible injury and and the bruising or swelling that had taken uh, that he'd taken on his knee. So even I to be I guess sort of going full, full circle and back to your question, it wasn't actually all that surprising the, the amount of changes given that we've seen him do it in the past with the FA Cup. But in fact, it was actually the maintenance of, of keeping Alexis in for a game in which he could probably have played Theo in, in his position. But, you know, it proved to work out extremely well.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, obviously, you can't can't fault the the result or the display. Paul, Um, for you, any surprises? I mean, I, I have to admit I was a little surprised to see so many changes at the back just because it's an area of the pitch where continuity is arguably more important than anywhere else. But... Um, What did you make of that and and anything else that you took away from how he set up the the starting 11?
3: Yeah, I think his lineup at the back was almost inevitable. I mean, he had to give Chambers a game. I think we would all say Chambers is really solid at right back as long as he doesn't have a really fast, aggressive winger uh, going against him. So I thought that would be solid. You know, Gibbs for Nacho. That's pretty close to even. I know Nacho is getting the nod, and rightly so, for his form, but really, there shouldn't be anything in that. Uh, Kashelny is always good news, and Gabriel was always going to get a game. So uh, it was going to be interesting. Only if they put us under a lot of pressure should the back four or five with Flamini added in. You know, probably the biggest risk in all that was that the person covering them was Flamini, who uh, his his impact. Packed, let's say, can be quite variable, um, and that turned out not to be much of an issue yesterday. So, you know, I think that was the the bigger, not surprise, but the bigger issue with the defense was who was covering them, especially with Kazorla, uh, who's been great, but still, he's only a little fella. So, him and uh, Flamini covering the back four would have been where the the concern might have been going into the game. Um, I thought it was really interesting. How attacking the lineup was, um, and in particular that we managed to get arguably all our best players on the field at the same time, especially from an attacking standpoint. That we had Giro, sorry Elliot, Giro, <laughs> uh, Alexis, uh, uh, Ozil, and Kazorla sitting deeper. You know, he, he was in the Ramsey role, but maybe uh, I guess you could say he got forward a lot because of the nature of the game, but. I think he tends to play from a little deeper and do it through passing rather than, as Ramsey does, do it through energy. So a little bit of a variation on his team. But, mm-hmm. man, do they do they all play their socks off. So you know, I think the tendency is to do the old, well, it was only Middles- Middlesbrough if we creamed them.
1: <laughs>
3: uh, where, yeah. Whereas if we get done, it's like, well, there were, you know, there are top in the championship and they'll be in the premiership next year. And we've seen teams like that go on a great run in their first year in the premiership and they beat city. And, you know, I don't, so look, we I don't lo- think we'd like on. to have it both ways.
1: I mean, they, they did go <clears throat> and beat city and look, there is a golf in class and they, they are in the championship, but they're top of the championship. They're in good form. They have beat city away. So, uh, you know, you have to take them seriously and you have to give them credit. Uh Final thoughts on on the, on the lineup, James.
4: Yeah, just very quickly. It was, Actually quite intriguing that it was Mertesacker that was dropped at the back. Um, I know he's played a lot this season and is a player that is in need of rest, but when when Wenger brought in Gabriel, you thought it... Well, I certainly thought, especially given the style of player that he is, very similar to Koscielny and that he's quick, uh, strong, likes to an- anticipate balls and in- intercept high up the pitch. I'm surprised that given the fact that Kosciani earlier on in the season had this sort of chronic Achilles injury that he's now played sort of three games in the space of about seven days. Um, and that it was him that was partnered up alongside Gabriel, And I wonder if, is it perhaps a suggestion that Kosciani has recovered quite significantly from this injury? Is it more a needs must whereby Mertzakar is in more of a need of a rest than Koscielny? Or, if that were the case, would it perhaps have been too too much to have sort of Bellerin play right back and then play Chambers alongside Gabriel? I'm just not... I I wonder if I'm sort of ta- taking too much from the fact that Wenger has conti- continued to field Laurent in that position in three games in a row, because it was my opinion that after the period in which we were playing sort of a game every seven days, that as soon as we had that midweek game like we did against Leicester... Kashyani was the one that would be kind of approaching the red zone, as Wenger would like to call it. But in, instead, he's the one that, um, that that stayed there at the back. Well, I have
1: to admit to not knowing this, but I mean, is is Gabriel a a right-footed central defender, or left-footed central defender? Is he a right-sided central defender? Because I know that you know Kashyani can't really play the right side of central defense, and Murta Sacker doesn't excel when he's had to move over to the left side of central defense. So it may be a case of just. That's where Gabriel has to play if you're going to use him. I mean, additionally, Sacker would be the one who would need replacing sooner, so to speak, than Kachelny. So, if you're looking towards the future, you'd have to at least suspect that Gabriel would be a Sacker replacement, or or certainly be vying for that time, just because Kachelny at least, I assume I'm correct in saying, a little bit younger. Um, so, I, you know, I think there's that. Although Kachelny is what 29. Sacker is 30, so I guess it's not that big a difference. Um, let's let's talk about actual performances in the game. Before we get to individuals, I want to just talk about the team in general. We finally saw the pass accuracy back up where we're used to it for Arsenal. For the team, we were at 90%. Possession was 65%. You have players like Kazorla, Flamini, <clears throat> Ozil, Welbeck completing 91%, you know, 92% of their passes, which we haven't seen lately, and the thing I noticed right from the start is that we're pinging the passes around. They were moving uh, accurately, quickly. There was pace on the passing. There was real um, confidence in our passing game right from the start. Paul, what do you think was the key difference? I mean, opposition aside, and you know, maybe you want to say, "Well, Middlesbrough just weren't good on the day, or they're not very good." Period. But we we kind of discussed how we're not we're not going to use that as the explanation. So. What do you think made the difference? One of the things that I, I noticed, you know, I, mean, I wonder if Aaron Ramsey being out of the side and, and Cazorla sort of filling that role gave us more <clears throat> confident possession players in the middle of the park who whose passing is a little bit more on point right now. But what was your opinion as to why we looked so slick in our passing game, whereas the last few games it's been a little off color?
3: Well, I'm going to go with a different view on it. I think that... Uh, you know, some, deer, some days you'll eat the bear, some days the bear will eat you, as the great Joan once said. I've actually never,
1: never had either of those things happen.
3: <laughs> <laughs> and some days we start a game and it's like they're running at us with a buzz saw and we have mm-hmm. to ride it. Well, to you know, this game we started off at 110 miles an hour. Um, you know, they sat back a little bit and we took full advantage of that to pin them down right into the corner. They'd have the ball and it would be three or four guys around it. And I think we just, the combination of them sitting back a little bit and us really going for the pressure uh, determined the game and the early part of the game long enough for us to get the first goal. Um, so I, you know, that was really the differentiator for me in our approach. By the time, it gave us a lot of pr- possession we were kind of feeling it we were in our flow we had the players for it you know they could sit back all they liked but now th- now they were parking a bus to some extent against players like uh you know Alexis Cazorla um uh, Ozil of course and these are players that if anybody's going to weave a pass through the the uh their their setup you know those are the plays that players that'll do it and you saw with the movement with 11 players touching the ball for that goal you know we were moving it from left to right and all over the park pulling them and stretching them and um, I just think we really came at them with pace right from the get-go at the Emirates and we didn't let up and having got that goal they then had to chase it a little bit which they weren't really in condition to do and we really didn't let up the pressing from there in and we got a goal like what, a minute or two late, later, and that knocks the stuffing out, out of them. And, it, you know, if you really go at them and do it right, you can determine the game. So that yep. was my reading of it.
1: All right. That, I mean, that's fair. I, you know, I, I just think that you, lo- you look at <clears throat> how we've struggled a little bit with, with our passing game in the last few games, and we've definitely played without the ball more, and this seemed to be a return of more of what you'd consider the Arsenal way, at least traditionally, um, and just kind of looking for answers to that. And I think moving Ozil into, I know he's, he's played centrally a lot, even when deployed on the wing, but moving him into the actual number 10 position and moving Kazorla back into the role that Ramsey had been playing and Ramsey, you know, I think we'd all have to agree had not been playing very well there. I just wonder if that contributed to it. And also, can we, Go forward with the midfield of Kakla and Ozil and Kazorla. But, James, your thoughts mm. on why, why our passing game looked better, our possession game looked better, and do you think that that subtle shift of Ozil Central and Kazorla into the, the Ramsey role, and, and where a place where we maybe haven't been getting the level of play that we need, is that it, or, or did you see something else?
4: Um, I think that definitely played a big role. Although, Cazorla did play that position against Leicester in a game in which we didn't keep a hold of the ball as w- anywhere near as well as we did against Borough. Um, but that being said, Rositsky was also in the team. Um, yeah, Ozil
1: was still deployed sort of in that kind wide of and left role, and, and Rosicky like, played the deeper role with, with Cazorla at the 10, you know.
4: Sure. I mean, well, I mean, again, they, they were sort of, they were all kind of interchanging, so there was no That's really, yep. there was no real set position. So um, that kind of dynamism and fluidity can often be a slight drawback in that sense. Um, but also, I think in combination with that is the team we played against, Leicester was a little ticky tacky, or whatever the terminology is, <laughs> in the sense that we didn't have a, a Danny Welbeck or or a Ziru in the side. It was a, a lot of small diminutive players, all very technical, which in theory in theory um, indicates that perhaps you're going to have a team you, that is able to play the ball along the ground a lot better when you have all of Rositsky, Kazola and and Ozil, and then with Alexis and 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 Theo um, surrounding them. But I think in practice sometimes actually having that. Um, dynamic combination going forward and that ability to change it up actually makes it a lot more difficult for the opposition to fully anticipate the way in which you go about the game, which creates more spaces, especially the way in which Welbeck and Giroud can, out, can run the channels. Giroud especially, I think that's a part of his game that's changed significantly since that of last season. He's not a striker that always, and, and when I say runs the channels, not so much in behind as such, but he's a, he's a central striker that as of last season, a lot of his link-up play came, came very centrally, and I think we're seeing him move a lot more into wide positions to allow the players like Alexis and, and Welbeck to, to make those those runs inside, which um, creates a lot more space um, for the attacking three and um, attacking midfielders around that. Um, but in addition to that, I think all playing that Ramsey role had a huge influence because, especially given the performance he put in, his ability to come deep, um, take the ball from... Um, from the the first third of the pitch and bring the ball forward is magnificent and that was what really sort of sparked the majority of our our plays going forward. I think as well, I mean, I very much agree with Paul that often the early passage of a game can very much influence the momentum of of the full 90 minutes Um, and I think Middlesbrough sitting back a little bit definitely played into our hands. I was a little bit surprised because although I've Certainly, haven't watched the Borough game aside from the highlights against City. Everything I'd been hearing had been about the the significantly few goals that they conceded throughout the season, albeit in the Championship. They're a team that's built on a very, very so- solid foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, and although they defended well, I didn't. Given that it was the an FA Cup tie away from home at the Emirates, I didn't think they made it as difficult as they could have done for us. Um, and I didn't think. I thought they were going to come into the game with a lot with a lot higher intensity, with a much higher pressing um, game. But then I I say that sort of not not knowing the the way in which they've they've gone about playing these types of matches in the past. Um, but yeah, no, I think it was like I said, a combination of Middlesbrough sitting deep and just um, and and the types of midfielders that we had and the sort of confidence and fluidity with 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 which we played from an early part of the game and, and really allowed us to take a hold of the match right from the off.
1: Yeah, I I mean, it It was great to see just because, I mean, I, th- I think that we had kind of lost our way a little bit. I mean, I know our form has been decent, North London Derby aside, but I don't know that we had fully adopt adapted to the idea of playing without the ball a little more and defending a little deeper, and the fluidity hadn't been there. The passing, the quality of our passing hadn't really been there. Um, it was definitely there. um uh, against Middlesbrough, and, and, and it was great to see. I want to talk some individual performances, and we'll get to Giroud, who obviously was fantastic and his two finishes were brilliant, and everyone can have a good giggle at me, but I think, <laughs> as I've always said, it's quite Ooh. clear. I don't hate the guy. He frustrates me at times, <laughs> uh, but I don't hate him. Um, but I want to talk Mesut Ozil first. Uh, he was magnificent, and he was more involved in this game um, than he's... Been lately, 115 touches, 95 passes versus even the Leicester game where it was 25 fewer touches, 30 fewer passes. I think some of that was down to how he was deployed. Um, and some of that obviously was down to just how the game played out. But, Paul, what did you see from Mesut Ozil against Middlesbrough that that was different, um, if if anything? Or do you think this is just him continuing to find his form after coming back. The other thing I notice about him is that he seems more willing to uh, have a shot, to look for his own shot, which is actually really encouraging. Um, there's not that feeling that he has to set up a teammate. And then eight key passes is Fabregasian. Uh, that's just that's phenomenal, and that's kind of what we expected when we bought him. Do you think this is natural Ozil progression just coming back from injury, or do you think that there is really something in terms of his involvement um, and performance today to really being deployed in that, in that 10 role. I know he has a lot of freedom even when he's deployed wide, but do you, think, do you think this is where we get the best out of him?
3: Yeah, no, I think this is more than just coming back and slowly working into form to the same old Ozil we knew. I mean, you, you can't think that, you know, if, if you're any normal human being and you spend that much time in the gym building big new, new muscles – when you eventually get them out there, you're going to want to use the darn things. <laughs> so to, to me, his aura, you know, that aura thing, that presence, his body language, um, I mean, he was really enjoying himself yesterday. I mean, he was knocking it around. He was a little bit, you know, there was a confidence there and a presence there. Uh, I absolutely think him taking shots. I mean, that the last match we played, um, that that shot he took, you know, the, the one that was that he powered against the keeper that came out, we, we, we score off the rebound. I mean, that you know, he he generally, when he takes a shot on goal, he'll pass it into the corner, and he's even scored a few of those since he came back. But I think he's genuinely relishing using power, lashing it a bit more, um, being a bit more selfish. Um, what is it? It's a lion tattoo or something he has on his arm, and mm. the, the gist of it is he doesn't listen to anybody but God. Well, you know, I think he's actually starting to live up to that lion tattoo now, and he's beginning to lash around the place. He's much more uh, certainly off this game. Uh, what I really, really enjoyed out of all of that, though, was that the person he banged the most passes to and from was Kazorla by a long way. I mean, those guys just had a field day finding each other. That, I think for me that was the real good news, because when any game Kazorla and Ozil play really well and find each other in, we're probably going to stuff the opposition
1: yeah yeah i think that's fair i mean uh you've ruined it for me because i always assumed that that tattoo was for the lion king movie but you know it's <laughs> <that's, that's> fine <laughs> i thought he was a big disney fan i guess not anyway um he might be he, might well be. yeah both can be true why can't it be both yeah. um yeah, could. what what about what about you james you're uh your your chance to ooze uh praise on Mesut Ozil.
4: Absolutely. Um you know obviously you don't want to take draw too many conclusions from just a couple of individual performances but since he's been back from his injury I think we're seeing an Ozil that we haven't really seen since probably the early when he first came in after that transfer window after the after we signed him. Um and I think Part of that may be down to this this new confidence. I don't know if, whether he's been taking some testosterone boosters as well, um, or what he's been putting in his drinks in the morning. Um, but he certainly does look more confident in his physique, um, in the way in which he wants to take a hold of um, a hold of a game when he has the ball in the final third. He, he he looks desperate to sort of beat a couple of players in the box now and then, and, cre- and create that little bit of space to um, to take the shot that. In the past, I don't think we would have necessarily seen him do. I think also with with Ozil, he, the magical player that he is, he's a player that thrives on having a team that's confident and a team that has a a lot of runners, but b quality around him. Um, and I, I know that sort of that goes that that goes for a lot of quality players too. Don't take me wrong, but and Alexis is the type of player that, um, as we say, creates. Chances out of nothing. He he's someone that um, even when the chips are down, you kind of look to to perhaps um, to, to put the game back, sort of put the match on his back and um, and and bring you out from nowhere or or take on a few players and and score goals. But Özil's that very precise um, player who's who's so fantastic at seeing various runs and and putting the right amount of pace um, and distance on a pass to find the player right as they're breaking into their stride. Um, and I think as we're seeing the growth of various players and the team itself over these last few weeks, um, because I think we have been seeing since early January that the team as a whole has been improving. Um, and as the team improves, I think there's no player who benefits more than, than Um, especially when you start to see, although I agree that the the relationship between Kizoula and Ozil is absolutely excellent to watch, but... I, I found it interesting to see the partnership that was developing between Alexis and Özil um, because the two of them do seem to be very much on the same page. There was that delicious ball that he played through to Alexis, where he nearly got got to it just before the the goalkeeper or defender. Yeah. Um, and I think, obviously, the kind of the, the pace and the kind of runs that Alexis makes very much suits the type of player that Özil is. Um, and so I, I you know, it, it, I think it's down to a little, a little bit of confidence. Uh, Luca, it's a little bit down to perhaps the um, <laughs> <laughs> the added the added strength and um, you know self determination he has in his his physique and but more most importantly I think it's also just the the shape of the team and the and the growing confidence in in the players around him and uh, maybe not so much the understanding but I think just the um just the, the growing ability of of, of the attacking players um, that w- that we have going forward.
1: Yeah, I, I think there's a problem for the manager here, which is, you, you know, look, the, the whole bit about Ozil not being a winger and being a number 10 has been done to death. But I think you can flip it around and look at it another way, which is that there are better players for the wing than Mesut Ozil. And that's the problem, is that... If you do not feel that you can somehow find a way to get Mesut Ozil to be playing as a central midfielder as a number ten, then you have to leave him out, in my opinion, because I think players like Ox, Welbeck, Alexis, Theo, you know, these players are all better on the wing than Ozil is. And when Ozil is on the wing, you know, we don't have a lot of width. He's not going to make the runs because it's not as naturally what he wants to do. Um You know, and to some extent he's he's not going to participate in in the defensive side of the game as much. not that Theo Walcott does a lot of that either but uh, so I mean instead of looking at it from the standpoint of ozel's the number ten he's not a winger. We know that, and ideally we'd like him to be able to play the ten. I think everybody feels that way, but i think the the other issue is that if he's not playing that position. Then I think he's keeping someone out of the squad who's better on the wing than he is. So you see what happens when you move him into his natural position. Not only do you get more out of him, but you get more from that left wing position because you put a player there like Alexis who can excel and thrive in that position. Um, So it's kind of you know it's more like a Rubik's cube in in making all the parts go where they best belong. Um, And the manager I think is still trying to figure that out. I have always been of the opinion. Uh, this is, by the way, if you're new to the podcast, this is the host soliloquy segment. Um, <laughs> I, I have always been of the opinion that Santi Cazorla can play that deeper lying midfield role next to, you know, whoever the holding midfielder is. Let's say for now it's, you know, Francis Coughlin. because I think that Aaron Ramsey, for all of his positive qualities, I think his defensive contribution, I think they've been over overhyped and overplayed because he has a good engine and he runs, but. I think that Santi has all, every bit the ability to be def- defensively aware and involved in the defensive side as as Aaron Ramsey does. I think there's a little bit of mythology to Aaron Ramsey's defending. But I think that you can put Cazorla in that deeper-lying position. He can pick the ball up from defense. Um, you know, we did make a couple tackles and an interception and a clearance um, uh, against Middlesbrough, so it's not like he wasn't involved in that side of the game. But he can pick the ball up from defense and, and do what we miss without Arteta, because the one thing that neither Flamini nor Coughlin do the way Arteta does is shuttle the ball between the defenders and the midfield and, and kind of bring it into the attack. And Cazorla can do that. And on, on the form that Ramsey's been in, he hasn't really been able to do that as effectively. So that's all stuff that we can, you know, we can get into later. But I, I want to get into some of the other performances in the match and some of the other incidents in the match. Um, and I think it's time that we have to talk about Olivier Giroud uh this is the part i've been most looking forward to as anybody who uh, is a regular listener to this pod or reader of my tweets um would know he's a favorite of mine Uh, paul and james have never been as convinced but i've been there loyal as ever (laughs) um uh and if you're not a regular listener or reader then you'll think all of that is true and that's delightful (laughs) um so paul we'll start with you i mean Giroud is never going to be a guy who has a lot of pace. And there were times in the match where it looked like Ozil was a little frustrated. He couldn't get on the end of of certain balls that he was playing. But the one thing that Giroud has really done, I mean, if you don't have a lot of pace, but you have a big frame and a good touch, the one thing you're going to need to do as a center forward is when you get a chance, you have to take it. And Giroud's finishing has been questioned in the past. He has clearly elevated his finishing this, this season. What do you think of his overall play? And talk to me about the two goals he scored, especially that sumptuous volley for the second one.
3: Well, let me just compliment you on one of the most superb demonstrations of revisionism since Stalinist Russia on your <laughs> Giroud <laughs> position.
1: Thank you. Yeah, that was, that's what I was going was, for. I, I said, Before we quite, started recording today, I said, how can I be like Stalin? And that
3: was Stalin-esque. Thank
1: you. That's what I was going for.
3: Anyway, yeah. Well, I, I'd actually been quite keen to add in on the last point mainly one word when we were talking about how well the boys were playing together, our Alexis, Kazorla, and uh, Ozil, and how well they were working together. Because I think the key piece of that puzzle was Giroud.
1: Okay.
3: Um, I thought he played brilliantly as the hub, knocking it back, continuity, giving them out balls. um, you know, I, I do fault Middlesbrough a little bit that they didn't put more pressure on Giroud and bang him about it a bit more. Because if you give him that little bit of space, his connecting to those guys, um, you know, that'll kill you. And the, the other thing I like about Giroud is he basically, you know, one injury aside uh, he's pretty darn robust. So you're going to see him there every week, like you do with Alexis. Like, I think in general, you can say you do with those like you do with Kazorla. So I think those four guys are going to be so keen because if, if they play the way they hinted at yesterday and they stay fit, which they generally do a very consistent, stronger and stronger performance is always possible. Um, I think because they gave him a little too much, although they sat deep, I don't think they banged Giroud enough. And I think because they gave him that little bit bit of space, um, I think he really, clearly, he really punished them on on both of those goals. Uh, I think he's a big part of of who the team is now. Um, you, know, you know, yes, his first few gears are like somebody trying to run through molasses um but with his back to goal or with his connecting play i think he more than makes up for that in most games if you have pace to his right from walcott or welbeck that that partly compensates for his inability to get in behind but i think he's so important to the inventiveness of the other three that uh it's a price well worth paying and i thought it was interesting as well he in one of the interviews yesterday, he was talking about how uh, Wenger had told him to come out of his comfort zone and to be more aggressive and to be the, the implication was to to go for those goals and to improve his finishing and um, I, I think that's paying off at the moment. I think that I think Olivier Giroud two point you know, the quality of this guy compared to the guy we had year one and year two. This is his third year, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, He's, uh, you know, he's a bit like Ozo coming back. Uh, if you told me this guy had been in the gym or something, which he was, you know, a year and a half or two years ago, but he has that. His time off is clearly he's had time to think about it and clearly appreciate his game and his role in the game. He's come back a much stronger, more dominant player.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's very fair. I, look, the reality is that. <clears throat> His physical traits are what they are, right? So he's strong, he's big, he's got a good touch, he can't run. So when when on the balance, when you're evaluating a striker, you know, and and he really is. That's all he can play. Arsene Wenger even made the point in the Mm post-match press conference saying Giroud is the one player who he can't play anywhere else. He's got to play at central striker. So that means if, for example, Welbeck's going to play with Giroud, he's got to play on the wing. If you have a player who can only play central striker and he's limited in pace, but he's got a you know, big frame and a good touch, the one thing he's got to be able to do is finish, and, and his finishing has been improved, and credit to him because the way he's finishing now takes his game to, to another level. A player like Giroud who isn't going to dribble past a man, isn't going to be able to run past <clears throat> the, the back four, run past the central defenders, who isn't going to be able to get into space... You know he's got to be able to run onto those crosses and convert, and and he does. Um, uh, James, I think, you know Giroud was was man of the match. He scored the two goals. Um, his all around play was excellent. What did you think of the the finishes, and what do you think just of of his game in general? Um, you know I I know, you know we joke around about it a lot, but but obviously myself included, we all want to see our striker scoring goals, and he's doing it now. So talk to me a little bit about the game he had, the finishing, and his overall play.
4: Certainly. I think Giroud over the last couple of seasons has been, without a doubt, our most improved player. Um, and this is a player who's not you know, a youth prospect that's been growing through experience, but in fact a player that it seems year on year, whichever league he plays in, I guess League One for Montpellier, each year, his his statistics improve. His desire to improve as a player, whether physically, whether mentally, um, seems to be top notch. And I think we're really seeing a player that's um, that that's grown a lot, especially since that injury. And maybe maybe that's just the answer for someone like Ramsey. Just just whack him in the gym, and um, and hopefully he'll come back the uh, um, a better man in 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 a similar vein to that of Özil and Giroud. But um, no in, in all seriousness his the biggest component of his game that um that needed polishing so to speak was that of his finishing he's always you know he he's always had pretty good movement certainly inside the box he's always loved to go to, to, to the front post and the, have those little flicks um and he he still got a pretty decent return last season the biggest issue was you did feel like in big moments in the in the game um he wasn't a striker that you could really rely on. And that's exactly what you need in this team is, um, is not only that focal point, but a big game striker who's, who's able to finish when to ha- to make those sort of clutch, um, to score those clutch goals even. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's something that we really missed from him because in the big games last year, he, he didn't really produce and, and that's, that's been a, one of the biggest changes this year as we saw, Man City scored in both the Premier League and Community Shield. Um, he scored against Liverpool. He scored against United. Um, he's looked dangerous in a lot of our big games, and he's he's putting in a, a lot of very consistent performances. But in addition to that, and I think the finishing is is definitely the big thing for us. We've talked, you know, we talk a lot about pace when we talk a lot about when we talk about the negative components to Olivier.
1: I and do. Not, I do. Well, yeah, I talk about sure. that and, a lot. Yeah.
4: <laughs> you certainly do, and listen. I'm, I, I, I haven't been afraid to mention it too. But I don't think, you know, we all like a pacey striker that can get in behind and who, who can take on players, and you know, in, in sort of a Thierry Henry, um, vein. But the thing is, there are plenty of world top top strikers that don't aren't blessed with the greatest amount of pace. You can look to an Ibrahimovic, for example, who's a, who is a physical beast, no doubt. Um, although Giroud isn't isn't too far behind in that respect. Um, you know, Van Persie wasn't a player that was blessed with with fantastic pace, um, or and certainly isn't to this day. Um, or even, you know, to a lesser degree, say a Manzukic, for example. Um, so I'm not, you know, I, a pace isn't the be the be all and end all for a striker. No, but, but just
1: to interrupt really quickly because that's what I do, James. I think that's sort of my point, though, right? If if you don't have pace, I mean, it just makes it that much more important that when you get in a position, you have to finish your chances because. If you can't run behind the back four, you're going to have to use your movement and your physical stature, but you have to finish. And the guys you named—Ibrahimovic, Van percy Menzukic—they finish. Giroud didn't. Now he is, and that's the difference, right?
4: A- absolutely, and, and and that's exactly what I was coming to. And sorry. And further to <laughs> oh yes, and further to that point, and I mentioned it slightly earlier in the pod, pod is I think his movement—not not just his movement inside the box—you know it was it was actually a very intelligent. Um, goal that second one it was very it was a bit of very of quick thinking um he caught the him and alexis both caught the Mid- middlesbrough defense for that corner napping um and he took advantage of that pace immediately and and finished with a plum but it's also the movement that he's he's shown outside of the box is he's more willing to to run the channels to come out wide to collect the ball out wide and allow for the kind of introverted if I can use that terminology, introverted wingers that we have, the Welbeck, the Alexis, the Theo when he's on the field that love to make the inside runs um, and occupy that central space. And he, through virtue of coming out wide, I think it it brings, it, it, it bring, say, like a centre-back out of position. It, it adds a lot more, um, it creates a lot more trouble for the, the opposition defence as a whole. Um, especially when we have the type of fluidity and 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 runs given the kind of midfield and and winger structure that we ha- that we have embedded in this system, and I think he's really, I think he's really 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 um, improved in that aspect of his game, and I think that's something that we've we've seen because even throughout the even throughout the match, there were a couple of moments where Welbeck could have been through. Um, one where Giroud tried to play him in, and the other where um, he took a shot instead of. Playing the ball out left to to Danny, and I think that kind of combination, um, not just with a, with a Danny, but those types of runners, is, is something that's um, extremely key to the way in which we we try and break down opposition. And even on top of that, is his ability to to bring the ball down, sorry, um, from from goal kicks and when we're under pressure, which is a highly valuable asset in in tough games. Because I thought against Spurs, although. As your statistics um, showed, you know he he didn't he wasn't very efficient with with the ball, but he's he's the one player that you can look to to try and to try and get you out of trouble and um, and so I think he's got a great all round game.
1: No, I I don't disagree with any of that, and I I think um, to to your point, you know because of the qualities he has for the team to really click and for him to really have space to to make the most of things, James, I think. I think you need real wingers and wingers who do have pace. Danny Welbeck can run past defenders, and Alexis Sanchez can beat a man off the dribble or run past them, or Theo Walcott. I think that's why it's even more important when Giroud is, is starting up front not to put an Ozil out wide. You know, players on the wing who want to, you know, take the ball inside and slow down the play and things like that, because I think that crowds the space. It it takes away from Giroud's ability to to work as a pivot. You know, not that I'm a tactician here, and I'm probably not even using words in a proper order in a sentence, but you get the idea. Um, let's move on because there's but, a lot. Yeah, go ahead. Uh,
3: uh, Elliot, can I add quickly? Yeah. So while I agree with that, the other way of doing it, and we've seen it done pretty often with Arsenal and other teams, is to use your, Late your full backs as the wingers. Oh, right, so yeah. that's why um, getting Bellerin up there... Uh, doing pullbacks for Giroud. And on the other side, I think Gibbs. particularly Gibbs works well uh, getting to the byline and doing pullbacks. So, um, you know, it used to be always T.O.'s doing the cutbacks for RVP, but Bellerin can do it and Gibbs can do it in particular. I Nacho think that's a
1: really cut- important point, Paul, because the funny thing is I think in the past few games where we struggled a little bit, it seemed to me like the fullbacks were very cognizant of not bombing forward, especially in mm. those away matches like at Spurs, because they didn't want to leave us exposed, and we didn't have the width. A- and that's why we yeah. weren't able to get out a-, a lot of times. But I think that's a really important point. Let's talk about uh, Sanchez for a minute, and then we'll, we'll <clears throat> go further back on the pitch towards uh, towards the defense. But So before I... I uh, pose the question and start the the debate about this, I want to make a comment for the mentally challenged out there. Sanchez is an excellent player. He had a wonderful game. There was nothing wrong with what he did, okay? So this is not me attacking Alexis Sanchez. But I think it's fair to say <clears throat> we sort of saw him at maybe 70% of his best. He did... A lot of fantastic things in his 71 minutes on the pitch. He had an assist with the corner kick for the goal, uh, the second goal. So really happy with his contribution. He's certainly starting to look more himself. He had the great one-two with Ozil, where he he just his touch let him down right at the last minute, and the keeper was able to smother. But the question I want to ask is something a little different, Paul. When you watch us play, like we were playing against Middlesbrough, and the ball is pinging around and moving from player to player to player, tic-tac-toe, pretty triangles. And then you watch Alexis get on the ball and dribble, dribble, dribble some more, faint, touch, dribble. (laughs) Do you think that to some extent we are still a team that's trying to find the best way to play our passing game and incorporate Alexis and make all all of that work? Because his style, and, and he's so brilliant, but for all of his brilliance, it's a very different approach to play than we're used to. To me, that seemed very evident yesterday as we were pinging the ball around that it would come to him and, and he would want to sort of do it as a soloist. Do you think there's, there's still even, you know, six months in the season, seven months, whatever it is now, a little bit of an adaptation period going on in terms of incorporating that style?
3: Well, I think that's a really interesting point, and even on our 19 pass, 11 player touches goal, right. you know, his his contribution was he picked it up on the left wing, dribbled, beat a guy, dribbled a bit more, he basically walked it to the right wing. Mm-hmm. Um, now it worked great, but had they had Middlesbrough been half a yard quicker on their defending. Uh, you know, that move was snuffed out. Well, he was dispossessed
1: five times in the match, so yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, that that is an issue with him at times.
3: Yeah, he was probably dispossessed twice in that move, but he was just so good (laughs) at kind of, you know, keeping that ball just about on the (laughs) end of his foot. But he gave them a look at at killing that move uh, once or twice in that move. So uh it, it didn't hurt us yesterday it all worked together you're not going to have all three geniuses and i think we know who the three geniuses are yes. playing 100% in the one game you know somebody has to kind of do a little bit of a supporting singer role and it was his turn to just kind of let the other guys shine a little bit so i loved everything he did yesterday but i can see what you mean under a more under more intense scrutiny that have been could have been where the play broke down and, you know, we debate week in, week out when our counter, in a counter attacking game where our counter attacking may not have been that great, whether the best person to break from deep with the ball is Ozil or Sanchez, because Sanchez can be maybe more, uh, more, uh, impressing with his counter attacking, but he, he'll lose and squander the ball so much more often. I think subtle, you know, Ozil's much more subtle, holds onto the ball and distributes it more cleanly, much more often. So, um, I, I think it's an open question. I thought what we did yesterday was wonderful, uh, under closer scrutiny, a more, uh, pressing defense. He would have cost us possession at some key moments yesterday.
1: and, and- and again, I mean, he, I think there's maybe just the slightest bit of rust and and tentativeness there. And, I, and he was good. I, you know, I'm not saying he wasn't good in the game. Um, I think if you look at it though, and you look at all the you know the players around Giroud, you had Ozil passing at 92.6 percent and Cazorla at 91.3 percent, and Flamini at 90.5 percent, and even uh, Danny Welbeck at 91.3 percent. And then Sanchez kind of sticks out at 80.4 percent with those five dispossessions, you know, if that's a word, that I pointed out. But again, three dribbles, three key passes, five shots. I mean, he contributed. It's just a different type of contribution. And I think before he, he was out for a few games, we started to see him getting the balance really right between when to dribble, when to move the ball quickly. And I just thought against Middlesbrough, maybe he was back to a little more of that extra touch, extra dribble approach. And it's interesting watching Ozil and Sanchez play together because you really see the contrast of a player in Ozil, who, who's, you know, a, like a conducting a symphony, you know, a, a sophisticated touch, a, a, a key pass, eye for, you know, a little pinhole size window to deliver the ball, moves the ball quickly, and then a Sanchez who's more like a bulldozer, and just wants to batter down the defense all on his own, and and both can be very effective, um, but James, I mean. Did you you see a little of that juxtaposition against Middlesbrough? What are your thoughts about Sanchez's, not not performance, because I thought the performance was good, but his style of play and how that integrates with the way the rest of the team wants to play generally?
4: So the juxtaposition being that Ozil is to Wenger as Sanchez is to Klopp?
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, (laughs) you you could absolutely say that. Yeah, I mean, uh, if and it's funny, right, because... Ozil came from you know the Real Madrid background where they weren't really Tikitaka move the ball quickly and Sanchez came from the tic-a-tac-a Barcelona, but seems to be more suited to as you said that that heavy metal football
4: but maybe that's just why though um and the reason is, and I completely agree with what you're saying that if there is one deficit um to Sanchez's game it's his it's his, Decision to sometimes hold onto the ball for a little too long, or to be a little lackluster with um, the ball at his feet, whereas other players might play the the quick um, move and part the pass and move game um, that is so well associated with ball. But I think in a setup that we have, he's the exact type of player that you need to throw into that mix because. For example, if you look to the Tottenham game, where you had a lot more of these Tiki Taka style players without the Alexis, and it, on top of that without Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, sometimes when you come up against a high energy team, a team where you're penned in your own half, it's actually having all this great one touch passing and and movement and you know slick slick passing attributes. Can be very ineffective against teams that pressure extremely well high up the pitch, and in fact, it's sometimes you need that player who, although in general is quite, you know, might have a lower possession percentage throughout a game, um, to to get you out of those sticky situations. There were several times in that North London derby where you felt Alexis deep in the half with his ability to kind of wriggle away from players although it's a much more high risk high reward type strategy um could have relieved the pressure in a, in a far better manner than than the way in which we tried to go about it although you know we weren't really effectively implementing that tiki-taka style anyway mm-hmm. but that <clears> being said i think it's inherent in a player who who takes the type of risk that he does and affects the game in the way that he does that you know the one, can comp- put the one sort of flaw to his game that you're you're li- you're likely to see is is his propensity to perhaps lose the ball more than others will. Mm-hmm. But then again, that's that's a virtue of him trying to take on players, trying to make things happen. And while I do agree that it was something that can be improved upon and something that I think, as you said, was was a part to his game that looked to. Uh, to be getting better in the sense that he seems to be making the right decision when to take on a player and when to play the quick pass um, I'm not sure if it's if it's anything of concern because if you take that component of his game away, I think you actually take a lot of the positive aspects of of, of the game away that um, are so influential for this side at the moment yeah and even on even on top of that aside from the way in which he carries the ball and the way in which he takes on players, which is what leads to him perhaps a slowing down our possession play and perhaps losing the ball more than others, is that he still does have, you know, the runs in behind the very direct components to his game that have a very direct benefit to the types of um, part to the passing style that we enact. In the sense that 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 Ozil pass for this for the prospective Sanchez chance. Um, is is a type of Theo run that he also has in his game that is, you know, so which which highly complements the types of players that he has around him too. Um, but yeah, no, I I agree. If there's if there is one thing with Alexis, it's you would like to see him improve on that. But I, you're never gonna see an Alexis who, well, I mean, it would be a, you know almost sort of like he'd he'd be having to reach sort of Messi esque um, standards if if he's gonna be playing the one-touch style effectively and at the right moment every single time while also perfectly ch- choosing the moments in which he takes on players and, and, and attempts to do things individually.
1: Yeah. No, I, I think <clears throat> I think you covered it brilliantly. And, and by the way, Sanchez is our best player. Sanchez and Ozil are probably our our, our two best players. And as long as they're in the side and... Playing together, they'll figure it out, and it'll ultimately lead to good things for Arsenal. I'm not concerned about it at all. I just think sometimes you see players make a run or move into a space expecting that quick ball from Sanchez, and they have to readapt to the fact that he's going to try to beat his man first, create a little extra space, try to wriggle out of a tight spot himself. Um, And they just have to adjust that timer in their mind of when they expect the ball to be coming to them. Um, It's certainly not a criticism of Sanchez. I think it's just an integration issue. Um, I want to do something really quickly. Um, that I think will be interesting. I want to do something a little bit differently. Um, uh, so let, let's do this. I want to assign you a position in an argument. Are you guys okay with that? <laughs> oh, okay.
4: This sounds dangerous.
3: Paul, I mean, you so, hate Giroux.
1: Yeah, Paul, you, you hate Giroux. Uh James, you hate Giroud. Go. No. Um, and Ramsey. Uh, and Ramsey. Okay, no. And Ranger. yeah, sure. I'm, I'm going I'm to assign Theo Walcott to Paul, and I'm going to assign Danny Welbeck to James. And here's what I basically want to say. I think there's a really interesting battle developing between those two. Danny runs. He works. He's all action. He helps defensively. But Theo just looks like he has a goal in him every time he steps on the pitch. And I think that's where a real battle is developing for a starting position, um, along with Alexis and and Olivier Giroud. So, Paul, let's start with you. Tell me a little bit about what you thought about Theo when he came onto the pitch yesterday, and, and make your argument for Theo as the right choice to, to be ahead of Welbeck in that in that role.
3: All right, and I just want to stipulate one rule: you can't be all willy waggy back and forth. You got to pick a guy and you got to defend him. You can't be saying Welbeck's no, great no, too if you're it. defending No, no, that's it. You're Theo. picking Theo yeah.
1: and James. You're picking Good. Danny, and that's the end of that.
3: So no <laughs> go, making no pleading
1: it. Right. there's
4: no like we can't swap Theo. or
1: anything no you, and like... you can't soften your opinion and be like but on the other hand you're going to take the position and you... pretend this is debate club go
3: good yeah <laughs> Okay. so I win goals and assists Theo absolutely not only creams him creams basically everybody in the team the other thing he brings you and we all know this is other teams adjust how they play when Theo's on the field because they know he's going to get a goal or an assist sometime in the game, and one goal changes everything. So, you know, that's the biggest thing in his favor. In terms of his defensive work rate, etc. cetera, he said the right things this year. We've seen a bit more energy from him. He's not there yet. But the other thing is we say things like, you know, well, I do. We point out that Wenger <laughs> says things like, you know, Jack needs seven or eight games starting before he'll be back to, full form we said the same about we reminded the same about Ramsey now very often they don't get their seven eight games I think we saw the last time Theo came back it took about seven or eight games before you know people were saying oh he's missing shots and blah 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 and we had that uh, his opportunity against Spurs where uh was it Rosicky put through that perfect ball to him Yep. And, uh, you, you know, Theo. somebody said he had the Theo touch. I think that's really harsh. I think I'd love to see almost any player take that ball at that speed, at that angle. It was a little too perfect. It was right on his foot. He had a similar opportunity just yesterday against these boys. And he took that one beautifully. But it was kind of the, the breakdown was the shot. He kind of – it was an okay shot. It wasn't a great Theo finish. So – Give him a few more games, and he'll still be somewhat hit and miss. But his finishing, his goals, his assists are going to remind us why you never want to leave him off that pitch. I mean, he always started for Wenger in previous times. Okay, we didn't have the battle with Alexis, Ozil, and trying to get Kazorla on the field. But uh, Danny gives us great uh, work rate. Theo said the right things. Let's see. Now that he's come back with the right mindset, if he can contribute a little bit more on the defensive side.
1: Yeah, well said. <clears throat> it's funny, you brought up that Riziki pass to Theo in the in the North London Derby where he didn't control it. Did you guys notice there was an identical Riziki pass to Theo in the Middlesbrough game, and he did control it. He had the perfect first yep. touch to get it out of his feet and got his shot off. And, yep. yeah, I mean, uh, I just think more often than not, Theo is going to get that right. So, okay, James, that that's what... Theo brings, now eviscerate Paul's ridiculous argument and give us the reason that it should be well beckoned. Okay. Well,
4: I, by the way, I, I did notice that Theo run, especially given that both yourself and, and Paul have now mentioned it, so it's, it's rather imprinted in my mind. Wonderful. Um, yeah.
1: <laughs> I see you're taking the right tone with this discussion. <laughs> <laughs> all right. First of all, the
4: team now is a lot different to the team in which Theo was starting in a couple seasons back, or, or prior to his injury. We're a team that's now blessed with a significant amount of pace, not only in in well certainly in these wide positions, but specifically in in a player in in Alexis, a player that you can rely on throughout a season to be bagging you a significant numbers of goals and assists, compared to that of Theo who pretty much adopted that role in, in seasons past where it was either between him or the central striker that was Van Persie at the time. The player that was able to to break in behind, to, to, to beat the line and um, and, and constantly cause defence, to cause very direct problems for the, um, for the back line, especially with regards to output. And by that, I mean directly contributing to a goal or an assist. And that's no doubt the strongest component to Walcott's game. But with that comes a major deficiency in the fact that a, not only does he not have a tendency to defend, his, he positions himself so high up the field to be able to create those types of chances um, that he often leaves us extremely flat-footed at the back, especially now where we have an issue that the, the defenders we're going to be playing are on the right are either Chambers or Bellerin, both two very inexperienced fullbacks. And in addition to that, as we've talked about earlier in the pod, a lot of the width that we can generate going forward is that of the fullbacks and in bellerin we have a very attacking extremely quick if um you know if, if the 40yard measurement is anything to go by I believe bellerin is actually quicker than that of theo so he's 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 the exact type of fullback that is able to try and to make those wide runs that can cut, that can somewhat compensate for Walcott. and I think from a team dynamic point of view if you're going to be playing Hector on the right it will it, it would contribute far more to the dynamism and, and the stability of the team to have a winger that's able to, to able to track back and able to add that defensive qualities to the game um, because I think Bellerin is able to make the types of runs that, say, a Sanya wasn't able to do. We've already seen, for example, in the game at home to Newcastle, the assists that he picked up for Giroud. Um, so in some ways, I think having a, a more defensive and more somewhat slightly deeper play, playing right winger, if that makes sense, someone who's able to pick up the ball and uh, take the ball to feet um, earlier on uh, in the earlier parts of the field would um, contribute better to that of a relationship with Hector. But even aside from, from, from just the partnership that's, that's going to be built up on the right, given the types of attacking qualities we have on the field now, the ability to score from various parts from, from various different players from Cazorla to Ozil to Alexis to Giroud, something that we, we we couldn't really have said about in, in past teams that Theo was playing in it's far more important for us to have a team the the types of players that 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 have a bit of everything and that if you look towards an alexis the player that you would expect go you know moving forward to probably be at our, our top scorer at least top contributor with a with with regards to a combination of goals and assists he's also a player that works extremely hard not not only from an attacking point of view, but also from a defensive point of view, um, and I think you see that now. So now, kind of moving into Welbeck's qualities, but with Welbeck, you have a player that who a contributes to the team defensively, but also when you when you think about the tiki taka star that we talked about, the passing star that we like to play, Welbeck is far more suited to that um, to that prototype in the sense that his his technical abilities are in my opinion far higher than that of Theo for every chance that Theo creates and he will you know he will have a couple of chances guaranteed in, in any given game and is likely to get an assist or a goal but much could be said about to a certain degree with Lucas Podolsky but for every chance he creates as often a couple of chances a couple of ca- counter-attacks where he loses the ball there are ex- many times in a game where you find yourself to be more frustrated with Theo than any other player on the field because when he gets it wrong, he gets it extremely wrong. <laughs> There's, there are times where he, you know, he can pick it up in in the deeper parts of um, of the pitch, and he'll lose it. He'll, you know, he, he'll he'll take heavy touches now and then. Um, he's a very one or nothing type player, whereas a, a Welbeck is a very very ef- efficient player that contributes to this kind of dynamic movement that we that we talk a lot about in this final third especially complementing Giroud and on you know on top of that Welbeck in himself is he's he's not much slower than Theo he he still adds to the um to the the team with with the likes of a Cazorla and the Ozil's that we have to be able to make those runs into the box we saw it several times where I thought Welbeck should have been picked out by Giroud um against Middlesbrough Mm -hmm. uh he's you know he's a competent finisher he's certainly not as good a finisher as Theo is, but we've seen it even recently for the England national team as well. He's a player that's able to pop up with goals. He's a physical lad. I guess you can talk about you know the defensive, um, not only you know his his ability to track back, but also from a set set pieces point of view, he's good both offensively and defensively. Um, and he's also got that added hold up player that um, you know that someone like Giroud has too. His his physicality in 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 a you know, sort of that rainy night away to Stoke, um, you would find is, is, is more effective or has a more positive I- um, impact than a Theo who can sometimes get extremely lost and um, ha- can be fairly anonymous in those types of games. And finally, I think given the types of attributes that Theo has and given the way in which this team has now changed um, in the dynamic of the team, I think... Unfortunately, you might begin to see that even when he does start, reaches um, full fitness and and full form from, I guess, a confidence standpoint, he's probably a player that Wenger might begin to see as as being a very important impact sub. And i listen, of course, with injuries, he would still get plenty of, of of first team minutes. But I do genuinely believe that with everyone fit, Theo is not going to be in the in that first eleven.
1: Okay, well, I guess we'll find out. Um, that's certainly well said uh, and a response that can be described as comprehensive to say the least. Um, I, I, I agree with what you both said. Um, I think, uh, it's hard for me, right? Because I just, I love, there's something about Theo that I love, but it's, it it would be, it would be dishonest to act like I don't see his deficiencies as well. And it's going to be a really interesting battle because then you throw Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain into the mix and they're probably all competing for one spot because as long as they're fit right now, you'd have to say that Alexis and Giroud are playing. Mesut Ozil is playing. So it's three guys for one spot and they're all very good players. Um, I think you will occasionally see Welbeck spell Giroud from time to time um, because I just think that's how the rotation is going to work. Um, I had wanted to talk a little bit about Gabrielle, but to be fair, he didn't do much except for that fantastic yellow card he picked up, which we all enjoyed. So we're going to skip that. I had wanted to talk briefly about Chesney, but he didn't do much, so we're going to skip that because we are over the hour mark. And I want to end then just very, very briefly on uh I know the draw will be done by the time anyone listens to this, but get your quick opinion on who you'd like to face uh in the next round. Doesn't need to be explained, maybe one sentence at the most, so that uh the few remaining listeners will stay till the bitter end. Um so James, you gotta you gotta pick for the next round?
4: Controversially I'd like um either United or Liverpool at home. Mm-hmm. Just because I think if we assume through, you know, Chances are, you both teams are likely to make it to Wembley for the semi-finals, and I'd rather play them on our own home turf. I like that um, priority going into Wembley
1: if they're not going to face each other. I think that's absolutely well. Right. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, yeah. Paul, how about you?
3: Uh, I I see the logic in that. My first requirement is that we play at home because I think we're favored for whoever whoever it is. I still prefer not to play good uh, – I'll take my chances with fate and prefer to play a weaker team, which is basically anybody but those guys. But, yeah, I see the logic of if we're going to play those guys, I prefer to play them now than in the semifinals. But mostly I prefer not to play them. You know, we we, we got Hull in the final last year. That suits me fine. Somebody like a Hull in the final would be very nice. Yeah. So uh, avoid see, them all. Yeah, you'll take Let a Bradford them play each at home. Other. Yeah, at home home, number one, uh, but prefer to avoid uh, Liverpool and United.
1: Assuming Preston beats United, Preston at home would be fine with me. Um, Yeah, you know, (laughs) it's funny. Emotionally, I would kind of love United at home because we owe them one, and I think we can beat them, and we didn't beat them. We lost them at our place, and it still stings because I think they suck, and I would just love to kick them out of the FA Cup. But when you think about it, the quarterfinals of the FA Cup comes at a time when we could still really be in a battle in the Premier League for top four, in the Champions League. It's a busy time of the year and a time you'd love to have the option to maybe rotate a little bit. Maybe you get a Bradford at home or you know someone at that level, and with all due respect to them, you can do something like we did against Middlesbrough where you switch it up just a little bit, knowing that you've got a midweek game against a Bayern Munich or something. Um, you know, and and you're gonna have one eye on that naturally. So we'll see what happens. The draw comes up in just a couple hours. Uh, we will be coming to you next time after Crystal Palace away, I believe, is at the weekend. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about uh, maybe the FA Cup draw briefly. And I liked the segment where we had James and Paul debate. Uh, based on something that I required them to debate on, so that was fun. Um, having like little puppets on a string, we'll do it again. It was a blast, um, and I thought they did brilliantly with it. So, you've been listening to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast uh, for the FA Cup match with Middlesbrough. We'll talk to you after Crystal Palace, real quick. Goodbyes, James. You can follow him on Twitter at GunnerFanatic49. James, thanks.
4: Cheers. I hope we'll have Elliot's criticism corner back as soon as you uh... Doesn't put in the kind of performance he did this week. Then, yeah,
1: yeah, it's a real struggle for me right now. I mean, uh, there there was hardly anybody to pick on, frankly. Um, even Flamini, <laughs> even Flamini played okay. So I, I, don't know. We'll we'll find something, guys. I promise. And Paul, you can find him on Twitter at my Pants. I hope you follow them both. Paul, it was a pleasure. Pleasure here. Okay, my name is Elliot Smith. Block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Until next time, we'll talk to you and enjoy the football. Cheers. Bye bye.